Welcome to Mill City Church. We're so glad you're here. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Let's pray before we look at the Scripture today, can we? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we're so grateful that we can be in Your presence. Uh, it's just encouraging, Lord, to be with other people who want to know You, who want to worship You, who want to learn from You, who want to be part of what You're doing. Uh, and so we're grateful that we have the freedom to come together and be part of Your life. And so we pray that You'd lead us today, that You'd be our teacher and our guide, uh, you'd help our hearts to be open to whatever it is you want to say to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as Steph said, this series is called Asking for a Friend, which I think is uh, on social media a way to just ask things that you might feel uncomfortable asking for yourself, except then everybody knows you asked it, so I'm not sure. There's a whole meta thing going on there that might be over my head. Uh, and I, when I was thinking about asking questions or asking for help, I realized that I'm, I'm really trying to get better at this in my life, but I mostly stink at asking people to help me. So in order to make myself feel better, I'd like to take a poll. How many of you say you're very comfortable asking other people for help? Raise your hand. Okay, 12 of you. All right. How many of you say it's, it's difficult for you to ask other people for help, usually? Wow. Okay, so... I'm not the only person. Now I do feel better. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> I have learned from some of, of you all in this church who are better at this, who don't feel so weird about asking other people for help. And lots of people want to help you, and so it turns out to be not that bad most of the time. Uh, but I will tell you this quick story from last week. So Chris and I had to have some work done on our garage, and we needed some space to put things in our garage while it was being worked on. And Carissa says to me, well, why don't we just ask our neighbor, Lynn, if we can put our bikes in her garage for a night or two while the thing's being fixed. And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And in my head, I'm like, no, I don't really want to ask Lynn to put my bikes in her garage. So I, I let it sit for a couple days. And then I came back to Chris and said, oh, yeah, the, the Lynn thing's a good idea, but how about this? How about this? We could, we could lock up our bikes to the railing on the back stairs, and then nobody could steal them and we don't have to ask Lynn for help. She's like, no, that's a stupid idea. Just ask Lynn if we, can, if we can put the bikes in her garage for two nights. What's wrong with you? So I text Lynn, and Lynn's like, yeah, great, no problem. I'm not using it. It's fine. Can you imagine, just imagine a guy with like five bikes chained to the railings of the back steps, and you walk by and go, what, what is happening there? What is wrong with that guy? He's just a person who doesn't like to ask for help. So if you see that, that's what it is. That's what it is. I'm trying to get better, but it's not that easy. And I know for lots of us, we're struggling asking for help about mundane things like, can I use your garage for two nights? Uh, at least in my own life, I know it gets infinitely harder the more personal the thing is that I need help with. Is that true for you? So the title of this teaching series, Asking for a Friend, came out of real discussions that a number of the staff people and leadership team folks were having with all of you, recognizing that this is a challenge for us as a community. We're a pretty outgoing group. We're an outward focus group. We love to go down the hall and help Sheridan by buying some books. We, we love that. We like helping other people. Uh, being vulnerable and admitting where we all need help from each other is harder for us. That's just kind of who we are right now. And so the series is, is trying to help us say, uh, in a playful way, how do we learn to ask for the help that we need so that some of the things that are going on in our life don't hold us back for what, 
from what God wants for us. And today, we want to talk about a particularly difficult step in this process of getting this kind of help that we're simply calling the courage to name it. Okay? So today's going to be about how do we get up the courage to really name the thing that's wrong, the, the place where we need help in our lives, even if it's personal and even if it requires some vulnerability, so that we can bring these things into the light, which is the biblical frame that we're going to look at to really see what happens when we're willing to name the things, courageously name the things that are going on that we don't want to ask for help around or that we don't want to admit are going on in our lives, and how does God use light to help us, okay? That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to, we're going to start in John chapter 3. If you have a Bible or if you want to follow along on your phone, feel free to pull up John chapter 3. A uh, little bit of background on John chapter 3. Uh, this is a story of a religious leader coming to Jesus at night, in the dark, asking some questions that he's kind of afraid to ask because he's thinking, uh, the other people I hang out with, the other religious leaders, they think we ought to get rid of this Jesus person, but I think there might be something to what he's saying, so I'm going to sneak in at night and see if I can ask him some of my questions. And they start to have this dialogue where Jesus is explaining to him, unless you have faith in me, unless you believe in me, you can't experience new life, rebirth. You can't experience the new covenant relationship that God wants to have with you unless you put your trust in me. So Nicodemus seems kind of foggy on it still. And at the end of their exchange in John chapter 3, the author, John, tries to summarize for us what this really means and why this is so important. And this is one of the most quoted parts of the Bible that we're going to talk about today. So some of it might be familiar to you. John chapter 3, verse 16 says this. For God, this is John now summarizing what Jesus said to Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict or the judgment. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Now probably some of you, uh, if you've been in church for a bit, you're a little more familiar with the first part of this verse where we have this summary of what God has done through Jesus sending Him into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it through faith in Jesus Christ, right? But those last three verses might be a little less familiar to you. Usually, when I hear people read them, they sort of stop there. But we have this really interesting description of the verdict or the judgment that John's trying to summarize for us here. He says, first of all, people loved darkness instead of light. The light came into the world. God's light, in this case, Jesus Christ, came into the world. And people loved darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. So just think about that line for me for a second. 
Who do you think John's thinking of when he's writing this? Some people loved the darkness more than light because their deeds were evil. I think for sure he's thinking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders who were responsible for putting Jesus on trial and for ultimately his, his death on the cross. And if you think about even the way that they went about doing that, they waited until nightfall to convince Judas to betray Jesus and went and found him in the woods in order to arrest him secretly and put him in jail because they didn't want their deeds to be seen in the light of day because they knew that the public was falling in love with Jesus. And so they secretly went around and arrested him, tried to figure out how they could charge him with the Roman government in order to be able to have him executed by the Romans so they could say it wasn't their responsibility. It was a diabolical plan. All done in secrecy. All done under the cloud of darkness. Literally, darkness, in the nighttime. So when John's writing these words, even though sometimes in, in Scripture you say, oh, it's darkness and light and it can feel very metaphorical, I know he's thinking specifically, these people killed Jesus in the dark. That's how they got it done. He's writing in, in, the, in, the, in the wake of saying that God sent His only Son to save us to highlight the reality of evil and the fact that some of us would pursue evil and darkness even when we know the light exists. And, and even when it feels like it's easy to externalize this and say that's, that's other people are uh, in the dark, or it's, n it's not that hard if you take a moment to recognize that there's some of that darkness in your own experience. And I know from my own life, when I'm struggling with something, when I really have something in my life that I know it's not right, Either I'm doing something that's not right or I'm experiencing something that's not right. It's easier to hide it than it is to address it. It's easier, let me clarify, it's easier in the short term, isn't it? To leave it in the dark and say, uh, I'll deal with it tomorrow. I'll deal with it the next time it happens. I'll deal with it when I can't stand it anymore, whatever. It's easier in the short term to leave things that are plaguing us in the dark than it is to bring them out into the light or to allow the light to shine in on them. And so as John's writing this, he's, he's trying to say, for some of us, we're running into the dark forever because we're so afraid of the light exposing what's really happening in our lives. And fear... The fear that he describes there is so critical for us to understand. He's saying living in darkness means living in fear. Fear of being exposed. Fear of consequences. Fear of what other people think. Fear of rejection. Fear of, of um, not being sure of who you are. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And the more you hide things in the dark, the more afraid you feel. This is scary stuff. Right after he says, Jesus came to save the world, he immediately says, there's lots of folks who would rather live in the dark and would rather live in fear rather than risk coming into the light. Both personally and individually, there's moments in your life and in my life where we know 
We'd rather hide things in the dark than bring them out into the light, right? And we also know that collectively as a group, there's some things that we'd rather hide in the dark than we would allow to see the light. Now let me talk about the light for a second as John's describing it. He's not, just, he's not just saying light like these blinding lights that make me not able to see you. He's talking about Jesus as the light. He's talking about the revelation of who God is, entering the world as a human being, overcoming death, overcoming sin, de- defining victory in love as self-sacrifice and trust in the one God who loves us enough to give up life for us. And so when he says entering the light, he means entering into relationship with Jesus. He means accepting the truth of God as Jesus Christ in human form. He means that we need to admit our need for for Jesus in our lives, for God's forgiveness in our lives. He means that we have to recognize that there is light and there is dark. And we need to know the difference. And we need to recognize when we're living in the light and when we're living in the dark. He means that we need to acknowledge ways that we've contributed to the darkness. And other times where we've experienced darkness when we had no control over it at all. He's wanting to say uh, in just a few words, Jesus makes a way for us to deal with the darkness in our lives, both individually and as a group. But it requires something from us. It was requiring something from Nicodemus. It was requiring him to put trust in a person who didn't have the right credentials and didn't have the right background and wasn't saying the right things according to the religious leaders. Jesus makes a way for us to deal with the sin in our lives, the sin in our communities, with the darkness that we all experience. This is one of the core concepts of why it's good news, why the Christian gospel and the kingdom of God is good news. Because we're not left to either be perfect people or just accept that there's all kinds of horrible things that happen in life we can't do anything about. Instead, we're invited into a transforming relationship with God and Jesus Christ that starts with God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness, but doesn't allow us to stay in the dark, requires us to come out into the light and allow there to be healing and wholeness created by coming out into the light. I love the way that, um, that Eugene Peterson translates this in his Bible translation called The Message. So I just want to read these last few verses, not the whole section, to you. John chapter 3, verses 19 to 21. Same passage, just different translation. He says, this is the crisis we're in. Instead of this is the verdict, which was in the NIV, he says, this is the crisis we're in. I love that line. God light streamed into the world. But men and women everywhere ran for the darkness. They went for the darkness because they were not really interested in pleasing God. Everyone who makes a practice of doing evil, addicted to denial and delusion, hates God light and won't come near it, fearing a painful exposure. But anybody working and living in truth and reality welcomes God light so the work can be seen for the God work it is. This is the crisis we're in. 
The Greek word here means God's judgment, that God's declaring a verdict or making a judgment, that we are in a crisis. We live in a world that in many ways is still so dominated by sin, by darkness. And the light of Jesus has come into the world revealing who God is, a God of grace and mercy who sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. But there are lots of people, and some of us, who don't want to be saved because we'd rather live in the darkness than we would live in the light. And so, as Christian people who want to live in the light and be people of the light in relationship with Jesus, we want to live lives that can be put on display. And let me make sure you know what I mean by that. Not because we're perfect people who've nailed it and don't make any mistakes, but that we're not afraid to say, here are the things that I have done wrong and I've had to seek healing and forgiveness from. And because I was willing to say that and talk about it and bring it into the light, my relationship with Christ allowed me to do that. It's not about perfection. It's about vulnerability. This requires tremendous amounts of courage. If we can't ask for people to put our bikes in their garage. It's going to be hard to admit those places deep inside of us that are still in the darkness, right? We have to have courage to name the darkness and bring it into the light. Allow God's light to shine on the dark places in our lives. And so, because again, this can feel very ambiguous, I have one specific instance of this I want to talk about in the time I have left. So as I was sitting here last weekend listening to Stephanie speak and open this service, I couldn't escape the idea that one of the topics we had to talk about in this series of asking for a friend was sexual abuse. People who have experienced abuse in their lives. And as I dug into this further, it wasn't hard to dig into, I learned that one in three women in the United States will experience sexual abuse in their lives. One out of every three. One out of every six men will experience that same sort of abuse in their lives. It's also, this experience is maybe the most, or in the top three, underreported, non-reported crimes that we have experience of. People are terrified to talk about this experience that they have, even though one in three people walking around you have had some form of this experience in their life. The more I dug into this, the more I just wanted to say, isn't this the definition of darkness? That we have lots of people all around us who are experiencing this kind of trauma and, and, and aren't able to talk about it for lots of reasons? Isn't that the definition of darkness? And one of uh, the women in our community, Mandy Grunkley, who's been on our leadership team and is a, a pillar of Mill City Church and works with abuse victims every week in her role, in her vocation. She had this great line in an email to me that I asked her permission to share with you. She said, uh, as I was asking her questions about this, shame and humiliation are at the forefront for most victim survivors. This next line is my favorite. I've thought about it since she wrote it to me. Evil is reliant on the majority of us hanging out in the bliss of not knowing how often sexual abuse happens. Let me say it again. Evil is reliant on the majority of us hanging out in the bliss of not knowing 
how often sexual abuse happens. How do we allow God's light to come into an issue like this? A few ideas. One is simply, we've got to find a way to talk more openly about this experience, especially since it's so many people's experience. There have to be open conversations about this, and we can't be ducking it because it's so uncomfortable to talk about. Most people don't share their experiences because they don't feel safe, and I don't blame them for not feeling safe. We have to find ways to create safe spaces for people to say, yes, that's my experience. Even this week, as I began to say, I think, I, I think God wants us to talk about this on church on Sunday, people were raising their hand and saying to me, yeah, that's my experience too. It's overwhelming to me. I was emotionally overwhelmed all week thinking about how hard it must be for people who have had this experience to talk. And then I read a, a, an article in the Washington Post. Uh, the title of something was like, Why Daughters Don't Talk to Their Dads About Their Abuse. And it just went through all the same reactions that I have right now as I'm thinking about whether or not this would happen to any of my children, specifically my daughter. I said, I can't tell my dad. My dad is going to be too emotionally overwhelmed if he finds out what really happened. Slash my dad might want to kill these people. was in the article. I get that. I feel that. Probably some of the other dads do too. But the bottom line result was that these women didn't have a space to tell even the folks that they felt like were protector types in relationship of their lives. As we went through the drama of the Supreme Court judge ruling over the last few weeks and we battled it out politically like, like we're always doing, almost on the side, we had a whole bunch of people who were having trauma brought back up to them by listening to Dr. Ford's testimony and the courage it took for her to speak up. And so now we're in this period of time, whatever you think politically, where now we have a whole bunch of people who have found the courage to say, yeah, that's my experience too. And I'm left asking this question, how do we create space for people to share what really happened to them? How can we default to believing people when they say, this is the darkness that I've experienced in my life? One of the things that I know we have to do is admit that the church has not been a safe place to do this. And at times, more often than anyone would like to admit, the church has even been the source of abuse, which we see headlines about all the time, unfortunately. Some people have experienced physical abuse from folks who had spiritual authority in their lives. Some people have been told by Christians that they were at fault in their experience of abuse. And for some, the shame that they felt from others after sharing their experiences was as bad or worse than the experience of being abused itself. And the poor responses by people that they trusted kept them in the darkness, preventing them from pursuing healing. I hesitate to even want to say, or to even, um, I hesitate to even say that I think the church can be a safe place because I know for lots of you it hasn't been. And I'm sorry for that. I think what God wants it to be is a community of people who can have these conversations and see that this is darkness that needs to be exposed to the light. 
And it's not okay that the church isn't that space or worse, that the church has been the one who's caused the abuse and the suffering in the first place. So, so what can we do? It's part of the question for today. The first thing that I'm hearing people who are uh, more expert at this than I am say is, we need to become safe people. We have to default to believing people's stories. People have to know that we're going to believe them and that they can trust us. If you have been abused in your life, we need to encourage you to seek support from professionals who are trained to support you. And I'm going I'm to give you a couple of those resources in a minute. When you decide the time is right, I hope you can tell your story. If you are a person who feels like you're in a spot where you could be an abuser, if one in three people have been abused, women, then there's a lot of abusing happening too, right? And I couldn't help thinking about how do, how do we reach out to those people before that takes place and say, speak up, please let us help you. Before you do, before you do something that's going to damage your life and somebody else's, please take some responsibility for those thoughts and, and have courage and name that and allow some counselor, uh, safe pastor, safe friend to help you so you can heal. And then the last bullet I had was, let's raise some children who know how to respect people and who know how to talk about this. Don't go through their whole church life avoiding tough topics like this, but have people in the congregation who can talk to them and say, especially to the young men, since the women have such a disproportionate experience of this, here's how you actually respect the women in your life. We, we desperately, as a church, want to help connect those of you who've had this experience to resources. If you have a friend that you know is safe, I hope you have the courage to name this for them. Um, I believe that the pastors on our team are safe people and are willing to hear your story and will default to believing you. Try to help you find more, more resources. As Stephanie said last week, we have lots of partners in Christian counseling that we'd love to connect you with. We have a great class that's coming up in just a few weeks called Journey to Freedom that some of you have been through that might be helpful in, in some of this area and also other areas where you know you need some light in darkness in your life. Uh, two organizations we can recommend, Cornerstone, Minnesota, and sexualviolencecenter.org. We'll make sure and get those websites out to you if you need to, need to access those. We have people from Mill City who are invested in those organizations and can be of help to you. Let me invite the band to come back up. The courage to name it means that in every area of our lives, every area, we want to be people who can allow the light of Jesus Christ to influence the dark spots. We don't have to be perfect people as Christians, but we do have to admit where we need help. And we do have to let the grace and forgiveness of God transform us. And we also have to take responsibility for things that we've done that may have hurt others. When you name sin in your life, it loses its power. Try it out today. If you know there's some darkness in your life, even with nobody else around, just try saying it out loud this afternoon. 
Say it out loud in a prayer form. And say, Jesus, I need the light to come and shine on this area of my life. My experience has been I almost immediately feel differently about it. I almost immediately feel more courage, even if no one else heard me, to step into something that I know I need the light of Jesus Christ to, to shine on. Whether those struggles are related to mental health, financial challenges, spiritual questions, experiences of racism, troubled relationships, or the list could go on. Whatever the darkness looks like for you in your life or for the communities that you're part of, let's try to have the courage to name those things so that Jesus can bring healing and hope and wholeness. When we step out into the light, God is able to help us. That doesn't mean that everything's made perfect, but it does mean that a different sort of healing is possible than if we don't step out. Jesus is the light, and we need trust in Jesus and belief in Jesus to be the foundation for this healing process. We need Jesus to come to our rescue. The world needs Jesus as much now as it did 20 centuries ago, if not more. Amen? You have a prayer card, maybe still, in your program. We want to invite you to write a prayer request. There's some buckets on the side here, black, black bins. You can drop your prayer requests there. Um, even if you don't want to write the thing down that you want to say, you could just write, I want to talk to you, and write your name down, and we'll get in touch with you. I just desperately want to end this sermon by saying, I think there's hope for, for Christians who are willing to say, Jesus brings light into dark places. That's happened in my life. It can happen in our community. And we're not going to stand by and allow darkness to keep us in bondage. Amen? We're going to ask Jesus to come to our rescue and shine light in the places that need His light. Let's pray. Jesus, we love You. We know that You don't shy away from the darkest parts of human existence because, Jesus, You came and redeemed the darkest parts of human existence. You stepped into the worst possible places in order to bring healing and wholeness and forgiveness and to offer us grace, God. We know that You know what's really happening in each of our lives. And God, You invite us to somehow find the courage to name the need that we have, to be loved by You, to be healed by You, to not let the darkness dominate our lives because that is not the freedom that You promise in Your in your name. So God, help our community to grow in its ability to help others, to help each other, to be vulnerable, God, and to be set free from the things that hold us back. May your light shine in every dark place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.